This is The Doctor Is In, your bi-weekly podcast that discusses all things technical and not so technical. The Doctor Is In podcast is produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and sponsored by DX Engineering, helping you shrink the globe. See their website at www.dxengineering.com. And now, here's your host, QST editor Steve Ford, WB8IMY, and the doctor himself, Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Hello and welcome to The Doctor Is In. I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY. And I'm Joel Hallis, W1ZR. I was assisting a, a member the other day by email. And he was wondering why it was that his vertical two-meter antenna that he had was not being heard, so to speak. Well, I mean, not his antenna. His signal being radiated by the antenna was not being heard on single sideband by the guys, say, 15, 20 miles away that were running horizontally polarized antennas. And so I had to give him a whole email lecture, if you will, on antenna polarization and why it mattered. But Joel, I'll just toss that into your lap. Why does it matter? Okay, well, we have to start with back up a little bit and talk about what antenna polarization really is. Mm. And it's important to note that electromagnetic fields are composed of an electric field and and a magnetic field. Each of them uh, moves through space. Each field generates a electric or magnetic field. And this is somewhat similar to a, a wire moving through a magnetic field that generates electricity in the wire. In this case, the fields generate fields of the opposite type as they move and the moving just keeps on going, and off they go into space. So that's sort of how the propagation starts. Sort of flip-flopping back around as yeah. Clark, Clark Maxwell? Yeah. All that stuff. And his famous equations, yes. Now, in linear antennas, such as dipoles and monopoles, the electric field is parallel to the element itself. So the electric field is parallel to the element. The magnetic field is perpendicular to it. Since the antenna's polarization is defined as that of the electric field, a horizontal dipole is horizontally polarized and a vertical monopole is vertically polarized. That makes it very easy to tell just by looking at them. Right which uh, is handy. Now, other structures such as loops are less obvious. Yes. But they're not that complicated either. A large vertically oriented loop such as the driven element of a cubical quad antenna, has polarization depending on where in the loop the the, um, feed line is located. If it's at the middle of the bottom, it will propagate a horizontally polarized wave. And if it's on the middle of a side, it will be a vertically polarized. Anywhere else, it will be skew polarized with some of each, Mm -hmm. which is an option we don't often talk about, but there are some reasons why you might want to do that. So given that, why do we care which it is? And the most dramatic is the kind of thing that happens that your friend was talking about over line-of-sight paths, typically local VHF-UHF links. The polarizations at both ends are not the same. There will be significant attenuation of the signal received at the antenna that's not of the same polarization as the transmit antenna. And he was running, he said, only about 10 watts output. So, yeah. In an ideal path, such as a space link to a satellite, there's almost no reception if the polarization is, is uh, 90 degrees out. In fact, I used to work in the uh, commercial satellite business. We sometimes could get twice as many channels by having one set on vertical polarization, the other on horizontal on the same frequency. So we'd have an antenna with a single reflector with um, a vertical antenna and a horizontal antenna. And uh, by adjusting them very carefully, we would be able to reuse the frequencies on the other polarization. 
I believe that's still the case, and by that's, the way. That, that's that an technique. Ex- yeah, yeah, that's an extreme case, and it, it only happens there because when you're on the ground, there are enough reflections and things that are not going to be exactly perpendicular to each other and, and so forth. So you do get some coverage. In fact, at the moment at my station, I only have horizontal horizontal antenna for uh, two meters. I used to have a vertical also, but that uh, was lost during a reciting event that is still in process. <laughs> but I find that with my little four-element Yagi, I can horizontally polarize Yagi. I can get into all of the local repeaters very solidly mm-hmm. just because, well, I, I have plenty of power and I have a good height and a good line of sight path from the, the antenna is only about 35 feet high, but it has a good path to all the repeaters. So it doesn't take that much to be able to make it work. So, you know, if the terrain is right, usually you can and the reflections are right, you can get into uh, some of the opposite polarity polarization. And I guess um, I'm a little surprised that your correspondent wasn't able to at least be heard on the, hor- the horizontal antennas he was trying to talk into. But yeah, I, I was too. Now, he, he lived in Michigan. Uh, well, that explains on, 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 Yes. <laughs> Signals are always attenuated in Michigan for reasons we don't understand. But now, he lived on very flat terrain. He said that the people in question were about... Uh, well, again, what, 20, 30 miles away, something like that. Yeah. But I think in a few instances they could hear him, but uh, said that he was very weak, yeah. too weak to be usable. Yeah, that could be. And a flat terrain, because I, I do not have flat terrain. No. <laughs> and I have lots of things around that reflect signals. And consequently, I'm sure that um, that I'm getting the benefit of that and getting into my repeaters. Also, they aren't that far away, I think. Well, some of them are probably 20 miles away, and I can get into them just fine. I encouraged him to, if he could afford it, to get a horizontally polarized antenna, like a little Yagi, little three-element Yagi, and, and mount that on its side in a horizontal fashion, and then I thought he would discover that, voila, suddenly he is heard by these people and, and vice versa. That's a... Uh a good solution, but it's also possible, depending on what proportion of time he wants to spend on each, that he could get a uh, or make a antenna that is um, responds to both polarizations and transmits on both polarizations. There are a number of different divine designs out there that do that. Oh yeah, I've seen the the crossed Yagis. Crossed Yagis yeah. are one. Uh, you could make circular polarization. Will work. Um, into either yes. horizontal or vertical. And there's a Lindenblad or something that... Oh, yeah, the we, Lindenblad, yes. That goes back to World War II, and it was designed, the problem was that uh, fighter planes coming in and out of an airfield would, uh, would tend to do spins and things and um, end up with <laughs> antennas at the wrong polarization, and they couldn't be heard at the control tower when they're in that vein. So this solved that problem. Like they could do any kind of aerobatics they wanted, and they could still be heard. And, of course, you only need that at one end. You don't need it at both ends. So if he's talking right. to... Sideband folks, it'll work. And he's talking to FM folks, it'll work. And the downside is that essentially you're putting half of your power into each mode. So you have kind of a 3 dB loss. That's true. But the loss from horizontal to vertical could be 20 to 30 dB. So you're a lot better off than that. It's, uh, it's one of those things to consider. But if you want a single antenna and single feed line, having antenna that that responds to both polarizations and transmits on both polarizations is not a bad idea. Now, some of our listeners will likely ask, do we care about this on HF? And if we don't, why not? Well, that's a good point. And and really, we don't very much. Of course, HF propagation line of sight, which happens sometimes in local nets and so forth, Mm -hmm. can have that kind of issue. But once you 
head into the ionosphere, the polarization shifts around such that you can't really keep track of it anyway. The different polarizations will have different capabilities into the ionosphere, depending on the height and so forth. But that's sort of a different question. That's one of the reasons for fades. As the polarization rotates around, occasionally it, it's uh, it's out of tilt with, with your antenna and you get a deep fade. And that certainly happens from time to time. And the way around that is to uh, have an antenna of each polarization and a separate receiver for each. And then what uh -huh. you do is you switch between them and whichever one is having the good reception at the time you use. That's called diversity reception. And if you're, I've heard of that. If yes. you're really doing it, you have an automatic switch that goes back and forth. Now, that works very well in commercial installations. It's, it has a little bit of a problem in amateur ones in that you have more interference and you're more likely to have a strong signal that's interfering with you that you'll latch onto that, that happens to be on the antenna with the poor propagation. <laughs> so you'll end up switching over to that one instead of having the one that actually is receiving the signal. But but it can be used, and um, a lot of people with dual receivers make use of it and have one channel in each ear, which keep track of it and both of your ears work, can be effective. Well, not everybody's That ears. would make me crazy. Well, it could do that. Um, but not, you know, you have to be aware that not everybody has equally functioning ears, so you've got a problem with that. So what you're saying, I think, is for HF operators, we don't really the average HF operator. We don't really care much about polarity, but you go above 50 megahertz and then it can become yeah. a factor. Well, the other thing is another effect of uh, polarization and why it matters is a um, high horizontal antenna, horizontally polarized antenna will have typically lower angle radiation than a vertical antenna over ground, just because the losses as the signal goes across the ground are um, more significant for vertical. So even though a horizontal antenna radiation with its uh, reflected signal being out of phase tends to cancel at the horizon, while a vertical antenna adds at the horizon, you'd think, just because of the loss, the horizontal antenna, if it's high enough, does better than the vertical for long distances usually. Now, the exception to that is if you're over a perfect ground or, let's say, seawater. If you're right at the shore, a shot over the ocean, and this is a reflection that happens not right at the base, not the ground underneath the antenna, so putting down more radials won't help. It's a completely separate effect from the efficiency that you get from additional radials. This happens hundreds of feet out to get reinforcement at the low angles. And um, so in general, if you can have a horizontal antenna high enough in terms of wavelength, which is greater than a half wavelength in height, you're generally better off for long distance propagation with horizontal antenna. Okay, Joel, let's take our usual break and okay. we'll hear from DX Engineering and return. Ever talk to a salesperson who didn't know the difference between a rotator and a rotary phone or a Yagi and a yo-yo or a ballon and a ballerina? You'll never have that problem with DX Engineering. When you call us, you'll talk directly with knowledgeable amateur radio experts, people who speak your language. When you contact DX Engineering, you're dealing with operators who are as passionate about the hobby as you are. This means better service, expert technical advice, and a commitment to your complete satisfaction, even long after your purchase has been made. Whether you're newly licensed or a long-time operator, you'll always find a friendly ham who understands exactly what you need on the other end of the line. Plus, you'll find a huge selection of amateur radio equipment, get the fastest shipping in the ham universe, and shipping is free on most orders over $99. Let's talk about your station. Visit us at dxengineering.com. That's dxengineering.com. 
And we are back with a question. We have a question here from Barry, WB6JZL, and he's asking about radials. Some verticals have them, some do not. Sometimes we have quarter wavelength for all frequencies of a trap vertical. Sometimes we have only four quarter wavelength radials for the lowest frequency of a trap vertical. I've read that ground-mounted verticals require more exact lengths of buried radials, while my commercial trap vertical indicates that I could have two quarter wavelength radials for each band. There's a lot of information out there with respect to radials for vertical antennas, and a lot of it is conflicting. He's confused, Joel. Can you help him sort that out? Well, I hope so. There is a lot of information out there, to be sure, and a lot of it is not correct. (laughs) A ground-mounted vertical monopole can work well, especially if it has clear surrounding. Having your HF vertical a bit above ground will provide somewhat improved low-angle performance, but it isn't very dramatic compared to horizontal antenna height. The base of a quarter-wave monopole gets higher than about three-eighths of a wavelength. The main lobe gets quite narrow, uh, but it will still be at a low angle. So for 10 meters, having the base about 12 feet above ground works well, and that will work well on the other bands and keep the horizontal elevated radials, if you have elevated radials, out of the reach of pedestrians. Or dogs. Or dogs. That's true. (laughs) And close to the ground, you have to worry about lawnmowers, which can be a real problem for radials. But buried radials are not at all critical as to length. No. You're actually trying to connect the radials to the earth ground. You're, you're making a connection. It's not a resonant situation like you have with elevated. And the general rule is that more short radials are better, more effective than a few long ones. So for a given amount of wire, you're better off having lots of small ones, uh, short ones, than a few long ones. I've always envisioned it as kind of a metal sheet that extends away from the antenna on the ground. Almost as though if you could afford it, you put a solid disc of copper that's, oh, who knows how many feet in width, yeah. and put that around the antenna. But in this case, it's just wire in the soil. That's right. In fact, some people have been known to bury an old washing machine or a car even. <laughs> And some of them have had good results with it. I suspect they have better than average earth connectivity. But, I mean, that car works very well, pretty well under a mobile whip, so why not (laughs) underground? But the idea is to have good connection to the earth and have the earth act as the ground. Uh, The best uh, radial systems typically have 128 radials, each a half wavelength long. That's what a typical broadcast station does, MF broadcast station. And they're required to have a certain level of signal by the FCC. And what they have to do to get that usually is put down a radial system of that sort. And they often put it in a swamp, which is why you'll see broadcast antennas in swamps. (laughs) Of course, most hams don't have 120 radials or don't want to go to the trouble of putting down it. Absolutely right. And what happens is, I guess, um, as you put down more and more buried radials, the the performance goes up. And I had a friend doing this um, a few years ago, and he found that until he got up to about 31, he was really getting a significant improvement every time he added radials. Above that, it still makes an improvement, but it gets to be kind of diminishing returns. You have to put a lot more radials to get a little bit more performance. Yes. But somewhere around 30 radials. And, and, you know, for some people who don't want or don't have the uh, capability to put down a lot, you know, 16 radials is not that far from 30, and 64 is not that much better than 30, and 128 is just a little bit better than... Than 64. I've run into people who have uh, gotten fairly good performance. Maybe they have good soil count, but uh, with just uh, about six radials on their vertical, it works well for them or well enough. Your friend knows what he gets with six radials, but he has no idea what he'd get with 30 radials. That's true. And I would bet it was, he would say, wow, that's quite a difference. (laughs) So, you know, it'll work. 
you know, some people even just use a ground rod in the middle. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, oh, I worked, I worked my friend Sam in uh, Tuskegee or something, and uh, you know, that, that's all I wanted to do anyway. So no problem. It seems to work okay. But if you have sixteen, thirty radials, um, it'll work better than any smaller number. Yes. And if you have that many, having them all on the order of a quarter wavelength is not a bad idea. They don't have to. True. Well, I'm glad you're able to dispel all that incorrect information. Yeah, well, it's um, it's a whole different case with a elevated radial system on a, a elevated true uh, monopole. Now, in that case, the elevated radial is actually the other half of the antenna. Like a dipole going out over the ground. Horizontally, yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, they have to be resonant. They have to be a quarter wavelength long if the antenna is a quarter wave. And you don't need a lot of them to make it work well. At four is kind of the optimum most people go with, but three is almost as good and two is not bad. So if you have a multi-band antenna, you sort of need to have two radials for each band. It, it is a kind of a, a good way to do it, even though a three-half wave antenna like a 40-meter dipole will kind of work on 15. A three-halves wavelength radial will not particularly work, nor will a half-wave right. radial work. So, so it's got to be just right, just a quarter wave. Now, having two radials per band is is not usually a big problem for elevated radials. But once you get up to eight bands, you're getting kind of, you're up to 16 radials. You might want to reconsider whether you want to go to a buried radial system I or would not. say so. Well, thank you, Joel. You're very welcome. If you have a question for the doctor, email us at doctor at ARRL.org. The Doctor Is In podcast is sponsored by DX Engineering at www.dxengineering.com. Background music provided by Purple Planet at www.purple-planet.com. This podcast is copyright ARRL. All rights are reserved. Until next time, I'm QST Managing Editor Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, 73, and thanks for listening.